0: welcome back to the super sapiens podcast where we explore super sapiens metrics the app features and experience and how super sapiens around the world are driving the next step in human performance evolution homo sapiens meet super sapiens Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are listening from, and welcome to the Super Sapiens Podcast. I'm for Fonek. Joining me from a cold London is David Lippman. David, how are you? Great, mate. It's sunny today. I'll take cold and sun. That
1: is the best day in the world. A blue sky, sunny day with cold temperatures. If I had to choose one day for the rest of my life, that would be it. So I'm stoked. I got to run in the sun before. I'm like, couldn't be happier.
0: Well, you were complaining to me last night about it being dark at four pm or something like that
1: yeah well I mean that's the amount of sunlight we get at the moment you know eight hours, maybe nine if we're lucky um solstice is on the way mate it's twelve days away and so we're we're almost on the uh almost back towards like positive movement so we're getting there getting there. How are you doing mate? you've been on holiday in Spain I saw lying on the beach doing nothing <laughs>
0: Don't tell my wife that. She sometimes listens to this podcast. She thinks I'm off working, man. Just uh, arrived home last night. Six hour layover in Paris and then unscheduled six hour layover in Johannesburg because I missed my connecting flight. And I sound like those privileged people who forget the privilege of traveling and just complain about layovers and planes and stuff. So I'm going to stop that right now. What a privilege to see the world and for it to be my job. So absolutely smashing it.
1: Speaking of that, though, mate, I heard you threw a bit of a tantrum because one of the lounges, one of your like sort of gold star lounges or something was closed <laughs> and they were, and you couldn't get in. You were throwing a tantrum. I heard, I heard something about there was a disturbance at the airport. And now and then
0: like I heard it might have been you. Is that is that fair? I know. I have no clue what you're talking about. And in future, I'm going to limit the information I give you privately because you come on here and you use it against me. I'm just asking
1: questions, mate. I'm not accusing you of anything. I'm just asking what's going on. Like I just heard there was a disturbance. Uh,
0: Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for nothing Paris to spend five hours at Starbucks spending a fortune. (laughs) um this episode we call the training mistakes and when i was editing it i forgot how good it was if i can say so myself mostly thanks to you and your answers you absolutely nailed it so i have no doubt wherever you're listening from you're going to find so much value in this episode before we do a couple of quick shout outs the first one being ruth croft winning in my country a guest on this podcast winning the hundred miler utct in cape town david
1: yeah, I think she had she was sick and couldn't run UTMB. So if you listen to the podcast with her, she talks about her prep for UTMB and ended up not being able to run it because she was a bit unwell. And so I think she was looking for another race as a result and sort of you know got back to training, reloaded, and then this timing worked quite well. It sort of gave her some time to have a bit of recovery and then build back up to UTCT. Um, yeah, she won it. She won it pretty well, I think. And so she would have been stoked. Would have been a nice race. And uh, yeah, congratulations, Ruth.
0: We have a very cool blog post coming soon. Um, I've had a look at the draft that you've worked on in this blog post. I am absolutely, you smashed it out of the park. I'm excited about getting this one out there into the world. Do you want to tell us more about it?
1: Well, which one, mate? Because you were really happy with both of them. And that maybe because they're both about you. I'm not sure, but uh, Probably. we've got two coming out. One, one was about your marathon that you did recently, your downhill marathon. I think um, that one will be quite interesting for readers particularly if you're interested in um, CGM. And then the other one is like uh, fueling the Festa 500. So that'll be for the cycling fans around here. Uh, so we got uh, you and, and Jack, our digital manager, who, uh, who did the equivalent of a Festa 500 early and then looked at your data, talked about how to fuel it, what to do. To be honest with you, uh, both you and Jack did a really good job fueling it. Um, and so the data was a little bit less exciting as, than I thought it would be, but it is still an interesting blog. It's still worthwhile. Um, the data is still very interesting and uh yeah give it a read for sure
0: there are a couple of nuggets in there there's some cafe legs in there explain why that happened there's some me very stupidly trying to do a fasted ride in the wrong way you'll see what happens and you explain why that happened and how to alleviate that so there's some some good nuggets in there but yeah you're right i didn't love them because they were about me i'd forgotten they were about me and i was reading them and i was like this is a really interesting guy who is this he sounds handsome sounds good looking funny um, and then I was like, oh, all right, right. This blog is about me. So looking forward to you putting it out there. Can I put you on the spot? When are you putting this out?
1: Uh, not 100% certain, but uh, I'd say, well, I mean, look, the Festive 500 blog will go out bef- in, in advance so that people can read that in prep for the Festive 500, right? So that'll be out before Christmas. I'd suggest both will be out before Christmas. Um, that'd be a good goal. So um, yeah, let's let's go with before Christmas. So I've got myself, what, two weeks? So Yeah.
0: Thanks, mate. Thanks for your hard work on that. Um, I have no doubt people will enjoy it. As they will enjoy this episode, enjoy David and I talking about training mistakes. Right, David, we're calling this episode Training Mistakes. Why are we calling it that?
1: I mean, I think... Probably catches everything, right? It catches, there's a few things we've talked about regularly. You and I talk a lot uh, off the podcast about training and nutrition, all the sorts of stuff. And, and these probably all roll into training or similar. And, you know, I don't want to be negative about it, but I see, or we talk a lot, and you seem to remind me repeatedly that a lot of the stuff I say isn't so commonly understood, or at least it's not done so commonly. Uh, and that was kind of the genesis of this is like, hey, let's put together a podcast episode so we can talk about some of these things so we can share it with people and try and help them you know not do some of the things they often do which i think are easy ways for them to improve i guess is probably the way to think about it
0: i mean i think that's accurate because you come from a high performance environment and it's so easy to get sucked in and be so comfortable in the environment that you are that you really forget about a world that you're not part of to give you an example yesterday I was at Muscle Base 70.3, Ironman Muscle Base 70.3, as a, as a supporter. Um, funny enough, actually supporting Eloise Deloire, our very first guest on this podcast. She was out as a professional racing in South Africa, which is very cool. Um, I was on the side of the road. There were probably about 3,000 athletes on the start list. I am not an elite athlete. What do I mean by that? I don't finish in the top 2% of the field. I don't finish in the top 5% of the field. I, I In that kind of field, I would comfortably finish in the top 25%. So I don't see myself as an elite, but I'm also aware that I'm probably better in my mind than I am. And then I've got friends who are like really like nowhere at the level that I am. But I go look at their results and they're still finishing, let's say... 180th out of 400, 500 in the age group. And these are people that are coming home in a 70.3 at six hours, 20 minutes kind of thing, which means behind them, there's a whole other field of people who are it's maybe their first major event. Maybe they're hitting a certain age and they've, they're trying to change their life around, try something new and do something that they just haven't done. My point is, I think there is. I think episodes like like these are important because I think there's a big, big pool of people who need to hear the basics of training, and I think that's probably sets us up for the foundation of this episode. Yeah, it's
1: a good way to good way to think about it. Is can we help? How can we help the most people across that pack? Right? What what are the mistakes we're seeing commonly, regardless of where they're finishing in that pack? Because because I've seen some of these mistakes in people who are finishing much higher than that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I I guess let's go to the beginning, the training process. What is the training process about if we are to like be very, very basic about training?
1: I think we're in a society where we often are running before we walk. We're doing things that we think are important, but we don't understand why. So I think it's, it's helpful to go back to the start. And the two things I think I learned day one of university around this sort of stuff or that you learn day one, in any course you do on on this sort of stuff is like the said principle. So specific adaptations to impose demands, which is the thing that's going to, the thing, the stimulus you give the training stimulus is going to make you adapt to that training stimulus. And If that is running five kilometers or riding for 30 minutes, you will get better at that thing specifically. Now there will be splash from that. You'll get better at other things. Riding for 30 minutes helps you run of course, but the further removed the thing is from what you're training for, the heart, like the, the of that splash effect will be right. Or the less than knock-on effect it will be. So you will get better at the thing you're training for. The reverse of that is if you want to get better at something, you best train for it. Right. And we'll get to that a little bit later in the podcast. The next theory is gradual progressive overload. And that is to say you want to be doing slightly more than you did last time, but consider that in the context of for most athletes, you're talking about weeks and months, not in terms of days, right? So it's not like today I ran 5Ks, tomorrow I'm going to run 5.1, the day after is going to be 5.2. No, 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 no. Like it's week on week or like ma- or sort of meso level or or even smallest repeating cycle, micro cycle level of um, progression. So it might be that this week I'm doing 10 more minutes of training across a week, something like that, or it's a little bit faster or something like that. And, and we'll talk later about trying to not move too many variables at once but you generally need to be doing slightly more. If you do exactly the same thing, if you run a 20 minute 5k and you do that one day a week and you do that for the rest of time, you're not going to get any better, right? You need to progress that a little bit. It needs to be 5.1 kilometers or or 19 point, you know, 1958, 55, something like that. So you need to make sure you're progressing things And, and you should use this in two directions. You don't want to, and we'll get to this, go too far with this. You don't want to go, it needs to be gradual. Uh, And it needs to be progressive. You don't want to sort of, uh, so it needs to be a steady march for improvement.
0: But why is that? Why does the body get better? Why, if I get off the couch and I work towards a 5K and I do it in, for argument's sake, let's say 30 minutes. um, And if I keep on it and I do 6Ks and I do 7Ks and now I do my 5K, after a couple of months I do it in... You know, twenty-five minutes. Why does the body get better? What happens? And then conversely to that, when you say if you do five k's, twenty minutes for the rest of your life, and you don't improve, it doesn't get better. Like, what is happening in the body that you are able to get faster with more training?
1: Uh, that's a really big question. Uh, I'll keep it. I'll keep it pretty simple. Uh, there's a, there's a four-year degree in that. Um, I'll keep it pretty simple. Um, you're imposing a stressor, a stressor, and then your body adapts to that because you know there's this thought of survival of the fittest it's not really about that it's about how adaptable are you so how much can you adapt to the stress that's imposed on you and you're imposing a specific stress or imposing a stress and your body adapts to that specifically perhaps so i guess what's happening you're inducing metabolic stress cardiometabolic stress all sorts of things are all sorts of messengers floating around and they create different stimulus. So it might be that your tendon gets thicker, maybe your muscle gets stronger, maybe your mitochondria, you get more mitochondria, maybe new blood vessels are formed, all these things. And they happen to different amounts over different amounts of time. And they're in a constant state of flux, which is breaking down, building up, breaking down, building up. And, you know, we talked previously in a life battery episode that we'll refer back to quite a few times in this episode. And one of the things we talked about there is like, the body's ability to cope with stress and training is one of those things. And so you want to impose stress, but you want your body to adapt to that stress. Um, And so you need to progressively stress it more and more and you get stronger as a result of that. Um, So the classic example is Milo. It's this is the example that's used in strength training all the time. And there's this fable of or this historical story of Milo and Milo grew up um, a young boy carrying a calf up the hill. And as Milo grew up, Uh, He carried the calf up the hill every day and as the calf grew up as well, Milo got stronger and stronger and he became the strongest man in the world because he was finally carrying a bull up the hill every day. So that's a good example of gradual progressive overload that's often cited in strength training.
0: Oh, I love that. Not sure if I've ever heard that before. So stress isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it's giving your body a fighting chance, the right amount of stress at the right time. And then I want to talk about something which you've alluded to already, something I'm very passionate about, where I have deep philosophical discussions with friends. And lately I've realized I need to shut my trap and just be more patient with people. But I see it often. It's this boom or bust thing, this all or nothing thing. One week you're training... You know, if you're running, let's say you're running 10 Ks one week, the next week you're super motivated and you're running a hundred kilometers. Why is that jump a bad thing?
1: Well, lots of reasons. Um, Probably the biggest reasons is that consistency is key, right? Uh, And the body does pretty well with consistency and it adapts pretty well to consistency. And um, as we age, particularly our musculoskeletal tissues do worse and worse with a lack of consistency. So kids can get away with a number of things, right? Kids can do whatever they're very adaptable. They're very, um, elastic. We're a little bit more plastic as we age and particularly tendons. Like you, you talk to a hundred runners, uh, especially if they're a little bit older and they'll all tell you they've got tendon problems right now. That's not so common in cycling, but it's probably pretty common in, uh, In the triathlon world but i guess the point i'm making here is as we age these tissues don't adapt as well and they do better with consistency so actually when you have a tendon injury if you have a tendinopathy uh, good practitioners will tell you it's not about doing nothing it's about doing less and an appropriate amount because doing nothing's bad as well you actually get worse pain if you do nothing so the point there is you need to maintain a level of consistency uh, for lots of reasons but you know in terms of boom or bust like one thing to consider here is there's is a, is a good study, and we'll put it in the show notes of the best predictor. In it was in Australian track and fields. The best predictor of performance over a, in elite track and field over a five year window was time without injury, injury free time. So that says to me the most important thing for you to do is try and be consistent and not have time off. Uh, and you know one of the best predictors of injury, unfortunately, is is previous injury. So that's a little bit hard as a risk factor, but Being consistent is really important and a good way to do too much too early or, or give your body something you can't handle with is, is boom or bust training and the wrong amount of load or stress, right. And that's from all sources. So life's, you know, all that stuff, like, you know, back to the life battery episode, but the, the wrong amount of stress, including training, um, will be a huge factor in overuse type injuries right? And that's fundamentally what most people are doing as they age, particularly in endurance sports, right? There's not many people who are tearing hamstrings or something like that in endurance sports. That's a young man's team sport sprinter type of thing. But in endurance sports, it's pretty much all tendons that get grumpy or joints that get grumpy versus, and that's all to do with like, inappropriate stress for that structure at that time.
0: Um, I mentioned the word motivation, you know, one week you are running 10 k's a week the next week you are motivated and you're running a hundred k's a week how do you deal with motivation that comes and goes is it about building habits
1: yeah 100 i mean james clear has been really good with this he talks about um how to build habits and talks about habit creep which is similar to lifestyle creep so in lifestyle creep as you earn more money um you end up with no more spare money because your lifestyle gets more expensive. You start buying more coffee out instead of making it at home when you're a student. Instead of eating the two-minute noodles you used to eat as a student, now you're eating the expensive pasta or whatever, right? So you end up with no more spare money. This is a concept of lifestyle creep. Now, habit creep is as you start running, yeah, I run once a week. Now it's twice a week. Now it's three times a week. All of a sudden, I'm running every day, right? Or you now I'm cycling this many hours. Now I'm you know, it increases. And we naturally do this as humans. Our habits will creep a little bit. And so he talks about trying to engineer that into the system such that by the time it actually gets difficult and you rely on motivation that you can that you then have a habit built and i think that's really important is people often look at me and talk about how motivated i am given how consistent i am with my training but it's probably not the case It's it's got very little to do with motivation it's not a consideration for me not to train because it's now part of my life and it's a habit right so that's where you want to get to with people and i when i am coaching people through behavior change that's the discussion i have with them is we need to get you i need to support you through to a stage where this becomes no need for support. How do I coach you to a stage of how do we get you to a stage where you do not need motivation anymore? And that might be just about building it into the day. So, the example James Clear uses if you want to do 100 push ups, it's not about doing as many as you can in a day. This week, you're going to do every day, you're going to be consistent, but you're only going to do one. And the reason is that's uncomfortably small. You need it, it's so easy that you wouldn't skip it, right? It's one push up, just do it. End of the day, you still haven't done it. Uh, I'll just quickly do it before bed. The next week, Again, you can't skip a day. You have to go to two. So by the time it actually gets to be an imposition and it's big and it requires some real motivation, it's already a habit. You've been going for six, eight, 10, 12, 13 weeks, maybe longer, right? So by the time it's a real problem and takes time, it's just part of your life already. So that's how he does it and or talks about it. And I think it's a really cool way to think about it is, you know, maybe you want to get to running 5K. is goal. Like, oh, it shouldn't be, I'm going to go out for a, a run today, or maybe it is, but maybe it's, I'm actually just going to walk. So I'm going to walk every day. And then once I'm walking every day, then it's going to be, I'm going to jog some of that. Now it's going to be, we're going to extend that. Now it's going to be, you know, I'm going to jog every second day and then every second day will be a walk. And then it's going to be, you know, so you just build it out in a way that makes sense for you, such that it becomes part of your life and doesn't become a huge imposition from either an injury, emotional energy, all those things standpoints.
0: And I guess it's figuring out what motivates you and what works for you. If I think about myself, I've been a cyclist since I was 13, 14 years old. But it wasn't until I was probably in my early thirties that I started training more specifically for something and enjoying it. And it became part of my habit, you know, from 13 to early thirties, I would ride when I felt like it or a big event was coming up. And maybe I would when I say big event, it's a 100k race. So you could get away with as much or as little as I wanted because I've got so many years of cycling. It wasn't until I entered a big goal that scared me like an Ironman. Cue this opportunity of me to mention uh, me doing Ironman. Haven't done it yet. This episode uh, like an Ironman where you cannot get our quota. where you cannot get across the line just by showing up and winging it. Me, Learn, getting a coach, learning to train for an Ironman allowed me to learn something new, to learn a bit about the science behind training, learn a new skill like swimming, learn different disciplines, whereas I was only a cyclist. And that spoke to my personality where I love new things and I love new challenges and I love going after those challenges. I've done four Ironmans. Now Now I'm going to focus on a bit of ultra running in 2025, try to build up towards two oceans four? and comrades, something four new.
1: Four or two, four or two, mate. <laughs>
0: I've done four Ironmans. I don't cancel swims myself.
1: Okay, that's interesting. I thought Iron Man <laughs> was a triathlon not a not a like giraffe so.
0: um so uh, my point is is it helpful to 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 get to know yourself and figure out, what best motivates you to figure out how you are, like what what reward works for you so that those habits, like after all that experience now, now training is the lifestyle for me. Even if I don't have a goal coming up in three months, I cannot go out of the door and not train. If I don't train for three days, I become really, really grumpy. It really is my happy place.
1: Yeah, I think people are probably sick of hearing me say this, but a lot of it will boil down to your why. So like, what's your why in life and what's your why for training and how does that fit into your why in life and then that everything becomes easy once you understand those things and understand yourself if you're counter to that right if your why is about i don't know spending as much time with your family as possible it's gonna be really hard to do an iron man because so much of that training is going to be solo right so i guess what i'm getting at is if you can find congruence between your why and how that builds into it then it makes a ton of sense right if your why is I want to be able to play with my grandkids and I need to be fit enough for that. And that's your why then you can go do any number of things to help you be fit enough for that. Right. And that's a really good why lines up with a bunch of things. You know, it might mean you have to do some strength training. It might mean some, uh, you know, some endurance training, all of those things. If your why is to be able to say you're an Iron Man, then go do it. Sure. But make sure you do the swim. But the, other aspects, like it just needs to all fit in, right? So that's one of the reasons I'm starting to question my marathoning is like, does that align with my why in life a little bit more? You know, yes, I did it for a long time and I value learning. And I value the training process and experimentation and being part of that. But maybe that isn't about running another PB in the marathon anymore. Maybe that like I get to change that. That's okay.
0: Let's take it a step further now. Um, why should we not be training for certain events the same way like let's talk about specificity um i got a downhill marathon versus a flat marathon versus an uphill marathon why should i be training differently for those things
1: well because they're different events right we, i mean the the front of the pack versus the back of the pack marathon are trained differently because that's a different event running a two hour eight marathon is not the same as running a three hour ten marathon those one of them is 50 percent longer almost like how is that the same event yeah, okay, you're on the same course and we call it the same thing, but it is a completely different event. So it's not about like what the name of the event is, it's what does that event mean for you? So what are the constraints that you're dealing with in that event? So downhill versus uphill marathons or downhill versus flat marathons, a good example is one of the rate limiters in a downhill marathon is your ability to run downhill. It's a big part of it. So you need to make sure that you're training to run downhill so that when it comes in the race, you can run downhill and it's not a shock to the system. Now that's, even more appropriate given in a marathon, particularly if you're going beyond two hours, one of the rate limiters is going to be, or, sorry, significantly beyond two hours. So let's call it closer to three or four hours. One of the rate limiters is going to be eccentric muscle damage tolerance. And so one of the ways to induce that is by training for it, running downhill. So that's a really good example of it. So I think you shouldn't really be training the same for everything because you should bring an element of specificity into everything you do. So A good example here might be the difference between racing the Ironman World Championships in Kona versus Nice because Nice's bike course is very different. So you should be training for Nice slightly differently to the way you train for Kona. Similarly, Kona is very hot. So you want to be training for that differently to uh, Nice as well because you need to be better prepped for the heat. So those are some examples there. And then I think at all times, because training is a process and you engage with it over time, you want to try and understand where you're failing. So understand where you're, what's causing potential failures or where are your weak points in training that you can then address in the next block to try and improve things further such that you're getting better in general. So you're generally getting better and then you're better able to lay a specific training on top of that uh, to then better be prepped for that event specifically.
0: Yeah, I mean, I felt like an idiot a couple of months ago when I was training for a downhill marathon and I asked you, so how do I train for a downhill marathon? And you said to me, it's really simple you're on downhills and i did that for many many weeks and when i ran this downhill marathon and my quads did not hurt until very very late into the race i thought of you and i thought oh wow david actually makes sense
1: yeah simple not easy sometimes or maybe it's just simple and easy sometimes
0: um we recorded an episode which everyone should go check out talking about life battery and basically You know, you have to account for life stress when it comes to training and training towards a goal and account for everything else that goes on in your life. Am I correct in saying that?
1: Yeah, I think this is probably the most important for people who are not professional, even professionals, right? Professionals have got media commitments, they've got sponsor commitments, they've got podcasts, whatever, right? Dealing with emails from me to try and get them on the podcast, etc. So you need to manage that life stress outside of things and all the other stresses, relationships, family Financial, whatever those stresses are, exams. Right? I used to get injured when I was in exams because I didn't understand this principle, which is you need to only add, you know, minimal stress at a time, right? So it shouldn't be about progressing training when you're encountering other stress. So because I use training for stress management to some degree, and because I used to have more time during exam periods, I used to train harder in those periods. Now, unfortunately, that led me to getting injured because I was stressed about the exams as well, right? So I was adding more than one stressor. So I think. What I would say is a classic thing you see is people have got work deadlines, so they train more and they sleep less and they fuel less because they've got less time. And that's a lot of stresses piled on top of each other, right, all of a sudden, right? So I'd be hesitant. So an example might be if you were working as an accountant, as you know, um, one of our previous guests, Sky Munch, was for a period of time, and its end of financial year is looming and you have an Ironman just after that you're now sleeping less, fueling less because you don't have the time and maybe to prep food or whatever, or time to eat, you're doing more training because the Man is looming, and then you've got work deadlines. And I'm not saying that's what Sky did, but it's an example that may have existed in Sky's life. And in that case, I'd say actually you're better off doing the minimum amount to stay consistent with your training and then focusing on dealing with the other stress first, and then you'll adapt better to that training afterwards.
0: Let's talk about nutrition, and without going down a rabbit hole, obviously nutrition alone can be 20 episodes, but the basics of nutrition once you start bumping up your training. I have my own experience in that. One of the Ironmans I was training for, um, I was trying to lose weight like most athletes at some point in their journey and I started underfueling, and I just was not recovering from my sessions. I remember one particular week where we had a big weekend block and I thought, oh, I've done so much training. This is a key opportunity to lose weight. I obviously was not eating enough that by the following Thursday, I was still exhausted, could barely get out of bed. And my coach said to me, it's because you're not eating enough. Can we talk about nutrition and what happens when you start bumping up your training?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty nuanced and difficult area in some regards. I think we've got a, an article on race weight that we wrote, and I think I would check that out, and there's a link to it in the show notes. I think that's it's pretty important to try and understand that you, know, you can modify body composition around training a little bit but it, it's it's a pretty fine balance to walk and understand that as much as cyclists like to believe that it's as simple as power to weight ratio it, it's a little bit more nuanced than that because you're a human that exists right you're not a machine so there are aspects where your hormonal health needs to be looked at there are aspects where psychologically you need to think about it how are you sleeping as a result of all that stuff right because that that will impact things as well and if you go into a big enough calorie deficit. You're not going to be feeling good. You're not going to feel motivated. You're not going to sleep well, all those things. So it's a little bit more complex than like lighter equals faster. Um, now that's not to say that you can't get lighter and you know, that can be something that happens, but it needs to happen over a long period of time. It's not something that happens over a short period of time. It happens over a prolonged period of time, months, years, not days and weeks. And that's how good weight loss or, or appropriate weight loss will happen at for anybody. But if you're an athlete you're trying to perform as well, then yeah, it makes even less sense. So I tend to kind of black box it, focus on quality, and then let the body adapt to what it does adapt to, right? And, you know, I've run my fastest marathons weighing much more than many of my competitors and definitely weighing more than I have at some points in my life. Right. So I've run the fastest kilometer I ever ran was when I was a teenager training for track. I managed a two fifty nine on the track, like, you know, almost died afterwards. Uh, and I've run a three and change caught 301, 305 somewhere there since, and I am currently eight, kilo, eight kilograms heavier. That's like over 16 pounds. It's probably 17, 18 pounds, 17 and a half pounds more than I did at that stage right now granted a lot of that's muscle mass fine but like it's not as simple as power to weight is the point i'm making here so understand that you can you know improve despite being heavier so and that's a one kilometer example right i've you know i didn't run a marathon when i was 17 so i can't really give you those examples but uh, i can guarantee you i'm uh i'm faster over the longer distances of course but that's because it takes time to adapt to endurance training so i guess what i'd say here is just i think Many people are underfueling their training. You need a fuel for the work required. You need enough carbohydrates to complete the work. Now, how much is enough? That's individual. Right, we talked to Paul Larsen about stuff. He has, you know, his thoughts and opinions on fat adaptation, and that, you know, all of that's not incompatible with what we're talking about. Paul would also say you need a fuel for the work required. It's just how much is that? So I wouldn't be underdosing carbohydrates just to try and, you know, or underdosing any fuel just to try and sort of lose a bit of weight.
0: How does uh, I'm going to do a shameless plug here. How does continuous glucose monitors how can that help you in understanding how you should be fueling for the work required?
1: Um I mean there are a couple of metrics you might use like there's some early signal that um you will find that if you're under fueling or you know, overtraining you might see a lower glucose that is more stable, a less variable overnight particularly particularly with sleep you might start to see that picture it may not come up as much it may not raise as much when you're doing high intensity work if um if you are not fueling appropriately i think those are probably the two big ones i mean you saw big i mean your story is probably the best here which is that you know when you started feeling appropriately you started losing weight and performing better even though you ate more and i remember you like sort of getting on calls with me going like what's happening here how's this possible
0: yeah, that was that absolutely blew my mind. I don't think I'll ever go back to the story I was telling earlier about, yeah, trying to eat the minimum amount after hard training to recover uh, to lose weight. But yeah, the minimum amount was actually well, well under fueled. Um, whereas when I started feeding my body more and feeling better in the sessions, I started losing weight also because I could then train more as well let's talk about being too fragile what is that about
1: yeah i see this a little a little bit in athletes and fragility i don't want to sort of trigger anyone with this so please don't take offense here but there's this concept um from an economist uh, or a, I don't know, he doesn't actually call himself that so it'd be an insult to him his name is uh nassim nicholas taleb he's written a bunch of books one of them is anti-fragile uh there's a number of other ones black swan etc really interesting books and interesting to bring across they're pretty fun to bring across into the sporting context. And it's, it's very common in the strength and conditioning world, but he talks about this concept of fragility. And I think we all understand what fragile is. Then he talks about robust and then he talks about anti-fragile and anti-fragile systems get stronger when things get harder. The example he gives is trees. So when it's windier, trees set down better roots, so they become stronger. So the thought is, Hey, let's not bring any wind to these trees when they're young because otherwise they're going to fall over. It's all actually there's a level of wind that makes them more robust as they age, right? So if you never give any stress to the tree, it will never put down good roots and it will never be able to sustain that stress. So that's the sort of concept here. So I guess what I'm trying to say here is you're never going to get uh, better with more adversity, but you may get better with respect to your competitors and with more adversity and deal with it. So an example here is, is training for the unforeseen. So in, in a nutrition sense, fragile would be, I can only eat the gels I brought right? Which is super fragile because if you drop them or something else happens, yeah, you're in big trouble, right? I once did an ultra, or sorry, it wasn't ultra. It was 33 kilometers. It had quite a bit of elevation. It's quite technical. And I remember thinking, oh, this will take me a certain amount of time. I don't remember how long that was, but I remember at that time I was halfway through and I thought, geez, I'm in trouble here. If I don't, if I can't eat their stuff, I'm in real trouble here. So, you know, that's a fragile approach is I can only eat what I have. Rembu- robust might be, I can eat, what I have and the gels that they have on course, right? Okay, I can use their nutrition as well. It's pretty robust. Antifragile would be, I can eat most things and not have a problem here. Um, And I can even maybe tolerate not eating for a little while because I know I'll be fine because I've done a bit of training for that. So it's kind of, some people use the worst case scenario as an example here. Uh, so like train for the worst case scenario, maybe that's it. But I mean, I've seen posts from athletes, things like, yeah, I, uh, I had the wrong socks today, so I couldn't perform. And it's like, if that's, what's going to throw you you're in a real strife here. You, you need to like, you need to be way, way better than that. Right. So, um, yeah, I just, you need to be able to perform no matter what happens. Swim, no swim. Waves, no waves. Wetsuit, no wetsuit. You know all those sort of things. Um, you know course alterations, etc., etc., etc. Like you need to deal better. The most adaptable is the one that wins here.
0: So to to take your example, you know, being able to eat your own gels and also use the race gels, is that something you have to train for then? And how do you train for that?
1: Yeah. So I mean, it, the example of I can only eat my own gels. Like the easy way to do that is just eat your own gels and then be confident in that. A way to train with the race gels would be, yeah, train with them as well to make sure you can tolerate them as well, bring them into your training a little bit. Uh, maybe you use the race gels. Maybe, maybe they're the same gels, right, as the ones you use as a result of that. Um, anti-fragility would be, yeah, I'm going to randomly pick different stuff. I'm going to take some actual real food at times. Uh, I'm going to stop at gas stations and buy some stuff to see what you know it's like. It's it's all that stuff. It's just eating it's, it's being a lot more random, inducing that sort of stuff to you. Um, I remember speaking to, uh, I was on the Buzz Along Sherry podcast um, and I was speaking to, to Sherry about stuff and she you know, does these ultra cycling races, like you know, um, race across America, et cetera, transcontinental ride. And I said to her, the best thing she could probably do is develop a fueling strategy, which is 100% based on gas stations because she goes past them all the time. She can stop at them all the time. I'm like that actually makes the most sense is work out the seven things or 10 things that are most common in gas stations across sweet and savory and make sure you can eat them so for her given it's all over the world i'd say it's probably chocolate bars maybe some like drinks gatorade coke etc and then some savory stuff like some um crisps fries chips whatever you want to call them um you know some like pringles or whatever and that way you've covered sweet savory you got some solids as well and, and some liquids right that might be a way to develop a strategy there but really the answer for her is Eat. Stop only at gas stations and eat something random each time. It has to be random. Let someone else choose it, right? That that's real anti fragility.
0: You've just reminded me of something which I think is really really valuable. It's it's a quick aside note, but it is relevant. You're talking about gas stations. I stopped at a gas station on a ride today because I almost bonked really badly. And luckily, the gas station was just up the road. um, And I had to stop and get whatever random stuff that I don't usually eat. I grabbed Red Bull, a bag of sweets, a bar that I don't usually get. But that's not the point. The point is you explained to me why I bonked. And I think it's really, really valuable to explain to everyone listening quickly what you said to me.
1: Yeah, so I guess the first bit of context is you decided you wanted to um ride a fair portion of this ride without fueling for fat adaptation reasons. Um you know, taking the Paul Lawson approach which is is very reasonable. The mistake you made was that you ate a bunch of carbohydrate before you did that. Uh and so one of the big drivers in what you'll burn in exercise is what's available. So if you've just eaten fat, you'll probably burn a little bit more fat. If you've just eaten carbohydrates, you'll probably burn a little bit more carbohydrates. Uh, I wrote about this in a blog on carbohydrate loading in our um, blog. So I'll throw that in the show notes as well. But there is a suggestion that even with carbohydrate loading protocol, we've loaded your stores as much as possible. You never had more carbohydrate to burn. If you have a little bit of fat in your pre-exercise meal, you'll burn a little bit more fat for a while. Now, The goal is performance. It's not what you're burning, right? There are no metals for burning more fat. There are only metals for finishing first. But in your context today, why that's important is you went, I'm going to eat something because I need to eat. You ate it. It was carbohydrate based. Then you went riding and tried to not eat for as long as possible. The challenge there is now you're burning a bunch of carbohydrates. So you're going to run out of them a little bit quicker than normal. And that's probably what happened to you.
0: I don't make mistakes. I was just doing them for work purposes so that everyone else could learn from what I was doing. That's just an asterisk I'd like to add there. I don't make mistakes. Um, (laughs) You're welcome. Okay. (laughs) Um, Experience is the name that everyone gives to their mistakes, mate. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Let's talk about stepping up events too soon rather than mastering the one that you're currently doing.
1: Yeah, I think I mean look, I think this happens a lot in society because we want to go to the next thing always, the next big thing, right? It's always like, oh, I've done a half marathon, now I'm gonna do a marathon, and now they're gonna do an ultra marathon. I've seen this. I've seen people who've run one half marathon, one marathon, one fifty K, one eighty K, and now they're doing, you know, hundred Ks and Hundred Milers. And on some level you wanna encourage those people because it's, it's admirable, right? They're, they're running, they're doing whatever, right? Or whatever events it is. But there's part of me that bucks against this or doesn't feel right about it. And maybe that's because one of my mentors early used this principle of like earn the right. So if you want to start squatting, you have to learn how to squat without a bar first, right? You have to earn the right to, to use the barbell. So you go barbell and then you might go to goblet squat with a dumbbell. And then all of a sudden you get to graduate to the barbell eventually to try and sort of earn that. Right. And it's about being process driven. And it's about uh, really focusing on that process and getting better. And I, but I think in society, we often get on the hedonic treadmill. We see the hundred mile race. We, I want to do that. Um, I just think you're better off really focusing on that process and trying to get better, not just focusing on being the next big thing of like, I want to do the next one. I want to do the next one. It's, let's try and really get better and get better at getting better and really mastering or getting much better at a certain event before we step up. So I did a ton of half marathons before I ran a marathon. I did, quite a few marathons and was tr- running a lot and training a lot before I started doing any ultra marathons. And to this day, I've only done three ultra marathons. So and the only reason I did my first one was because I was in the Alps running a ton with a, somebody who ran UTMB. And she said to me, mate, you should just do an ultra. You'll be really good at it. You'll be fine. You're training enough. And to be fair, the ultras I've done are 50 kilometers and 50 kilometer races are much more similar to a marathon than, than they are to other ultras. So um, yeah, I just think society is such that we just always want to step to the next thing on the hedonic treadmill. And I think, the focus should be on the process and really getting better at getting better before we then want to step up and do the next big thing. Uh, because you know, there's a huge difference between completing and competing. Now, of course, not everybody on our listenership is going to be elite. They're not all going to be competing for places on the podium or whatever, but they can compete to get better with themselves or within their training group or something like that. And I think that requires a lot more work and there's a lot, um, more unpleasant in some regards than just completing the next race, right? And I think part of this driver for this is perhaps how unpleasant it can be to train harder, to get better at that shorter event, right? So an example being from running is to get better at 10Ks is really hard, and it's really painful compared to getting better at a marathon. So I wonder if there's a component of that in there as well.
0: You made a note here, David, focusing on what, not how. Can you talk to me about that?
1: Yeah, I think um, a lot of people focus on what they're, Doing in training, not how they do the training, right? And again, this somewhat arcs back to process-focused rather than outcome-focused, but also speaks to quality rather than quantity, or, or quality as important, right? And so, some of the world's best athletes will talk about things like intensity control, or they'll talk about executing well, or whatever. There's, there should always be a. It should always be about can I execute this training session well? A lot of people sort of ah, oh, yeah, tick the box, got it done, right? And, and there's there's some value in that. Don't get me wrong, right? But you should be trying to do the sessions well and well isn't always fast or isn't always whatever it's it's about what's the goal of that session are you really doing that right so a good example here is yeah i've gone out for a coffee ride but the boys sprinted the hills and i sprinted them with them well that's not well right you let your ego get the better of you you went too hard on that session now it's going to ruin the rest of your training week perhaps now some people might say hey you just
0: messed up your session
1: yeah well but some people might say hey that's anti-fragility and like okay fair enough that's a very reasonable discussion but also it's also stupid to some degree. It's not gradual progressive overload. So maybe there's that. Then the the alternative is like the type A personality who's ignoring uh, you know, sort of recovery, like life battery stuff and just wants to sort of um, get it done appropriately, right? So it does intensity when they shouldn't be doing it. And so perhaps you need to rest there. So you need to understand the principles and the layers of this. So the first thing is like, let's be consistent and make sure we're adapting. So that's let's cut intensity when we can't handle it and let's manage life stress. And then the next layers is about how you're really doing things well in terms of like, let's nail the intensity, let's do all that stuff. So the most important thing is doing training, then it's about enough training, then it's about intensity of that training. But I guess what I'm saying here is let's make sure we're completing everything appropriately. So don't go, don't kill yourself every training session, you know, be disciplined on easy days all those things, right? And maybe even a coffee shop ride isn't, you know, there's reasons you should be doing it for social and all those other benefits. But as a training stimulus, maybe it's not really there. Like if I told you to go ride 100Ks at zone two, a coffee shop ride doesn't do that. You're probably riding 50Ks in zone one. I don't know if that's if that's a good how for me, right? Um, I remember once going for a run with a guy Many years ago, and I know he won't be listening to this, so it's great. Um, I went for a run with him, and he was a much better runner than me. And we ran as a group, right? We went out and did some trail running. And it, When we were trail running at that stage, it was very social. It was like run for a bit, get to the top of the hill, wait for everyone else to catch up, go again, right? Um, he finished his run. We ran like 30-something kilometers, like 20-something miles. So it was a long run. Uh, and it was he had it on his program. But because he was so much better than us, he was not um, good enough. Anyway, we stopped. We were sitting there afterwards like – just chilling out, drinking some water post-run, post, uh, post run. and he got a call from his coach because he'd uploaded it. You know, he synced his garment, and then all of a sudden it's uploaded a training piece. So, a call from his coach. He's like, yeah, and I remember the conversation. like, yeah, 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 it was an easy – yeah, but it was with a group. Like, I'm, so, yeah, but uh, – yeah, okay, sorry. Turned out his coach was like, you got to go for a hard ride this afternoon because that wasn't hard enough. So now we are going to go do some bike miles to, like, make up the deficit you haven't done there. Right, and there's an argument both ways about whether that's good or bad, but what I'm getting at is like his how wasn't quite there. He didn't do it properly. He shouldn't have run with us, perhaps.
0: But his soul was better for it, especially as you a social person. And sometimes you have to figure out, I guess, what's your goal. For professionals, obviously it's different. It's their job. But in a social setting, we can often Take this so seriously, and maybe it brings us to our next point. You know where we, you see this often. It's so prevalent where we sweat the small stuff and we underemphasize the, the bigger stuff.
1: Yeah, I think I saw it put best by a strength and conditioning coach called Martin Rooney. He was like, "Don't major in the minutia." So, yeah, we're so worried about weird little details, and we're not doing. You know, we're trying to make a cake out of icing rather than like getting the bottom of the cake right. So you first you need to understand the basics well here and then make sure you're doing them well before you start to worry about the other stuff. But we love people who talk to us about which gel they should take, but they only take one gel an hour because they don't realize that they need more than that. Or they're worried about cold plunges, but they're not sleeping properly. Like, let's just make sure that we really understand what the basics are, get them right, and then start to do the stuff on top of that. So, you know, if you're not cycling more than, I don't know, insert number here, let's call it 200 kilometers in a week or, you know, let's call it, I don't know, eight hours. Then doing single leg drills and, you know, high torque work, it's probably not worth it. It's probably cycle more, you'd be better off, right? And then, you know, so it's kind of do enough work before you start to worry about the other stuff. Get the basics right first. I think we love to overemphasize this. It's like a form of mental masturbation almost of like, oh, what's the best thing? It's like, stop worrying about best and start doing enough and then go from there. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's prevalent and look, yeah, I just, it's really, really common, especially in people who for some reason or another can't, or don't want to do the hard work or the more work or whatever, right? Like it just, it's, it's prevalent. So don't, don't get fall into this trap.
0: It's walking into the bike shop and buying the best bicycle, um because you want to be faster instead of doing the right steps which we've been talking about along this uh in this podcast doing the right training at the right time doing the right nutrition and it's not to say you don't deserve the nice bicycle or if you can afford it by all means walk in and buy it but understand that you know other things play a role as well and there's other work to be done
1: well Perhaps there's a good example is the bike might be motivating and it might help you get out more and it might do all those things, which I think are all positive, right? And it probably, unfortunately, will make you a little bit faster, but the thing that's going to make you faster and more for, and for longer is probably to cycle more, right? Like, yeah, I, it just, and some people can't do that, but I just think, or well, maybe it's recover more, maybe it's fuel properly, but doing the basics is so important, right? If you're not ticking those boxes, then you maybe don't need the next thing. Right? Like I didn't, a carbon plated shoes are a good example. I didn't buy my first pair of carbon plated shoes till after I qualified and had an entry to Boston. I ran 249 without carbon shoes before I started, before I even stepped foot into one. And to be clear, I qualified for Boston in 2022. So it wasn't like I qualified in 2016 and didn't have access. Wow. So I didn't do any of that, right? Because I didn't think I sort of was necessary.
0: Can we talk about training for where you want to be or where the best are, not where you are right now? Yeah, I think
1: there's lots of fetishization of what the pros are doing,
0: be it fueling
1: training, whatever. Right. And I think there's a misconception that you need to be doing what the pros are doing when in actual fact, they weren't doing what they're doing now when they were at your level. And I think that's really important is to remember that the way that insert pro here, got to where they are, was doing the right thing for where they were at the time. And that is not what they're doing at the moment. Um, and an example from from you and I actually is you were asking me about my marathon training and you know I'm by no means a pro, but I'm a little bit further along the journey than you are in terms of the number of marathons I've run in my running volume and running history. And I said to you, mate, here's all my training, but it's not that appropriate for you because I don't think it's what you need, right? A lot of my f- training is focused on durability when I think a lot of your training should just be on volume. Like just running more is what you need because it's not really about what happens in the week because you're doing so much intensity elsewhere. You just need to run more because you're very aerobically fit compared to your ability to run because you're not running much at the moment and you'll get there. Right. And that will come over time. But the, the, what you need at the moment is not actually what I need. right? I don't need to run more because I've run quite a bit and have and am running quite a bit, you know, when I'm not injured. Whereas for you, you know, you'd be lucky to run 50 kilometers a week, some weeks, like the most important thing for you is just adding a little bit to that. Right. If you only run 50 Ks in a week and you want to run a 50 K race, like you're asking your body to deal with weekly volume in one day. That's very different to somebody who's running, you know, over hundred kilometers a week, where it's weekly volume in, sorry, half a weekly volume in a day, right? So it's very, very different there.
0: So I guess it ties back to what we were saying earlier um, in terms of taking things step by step for where you are at. I mean, I mentioned I was at Ironman Muscle Base 70.3 yesterday and I sort of went with the pros. I escorted Louise to the press conference afterwards and we were backstage with all the podium finishers. They were doing all the interviews, etc. And one journalist commented to them and said, it's so unfair look at you guys you're so fresh you don't even look like you raced today and there's still people out there for the next two three four hours who will still be racing and it's not like the pros are limping you know and some of them went under four hours and some of them went just early four hours um and they would maybe take 120 grams of carbs an hour or 110 grams of carbs an hour and the people who are in the back end of the field might look at the pros and go oh okay i'll do that as well then but it isn't about that. It's about working it's about figuring out where you are where you are right now and adapting for where you are and where you want to go and adding gradually to where you're at.
1: Yeah. And I think this this point ties in with the rest of the podcast really well. Is like, where are your weak points to work on? How do I get better at that? How do I specifically improve? What what's my next race going to require? All these things that we've sort of touched on already. But I think it and, and again, not getting the latest thing because you think it's going to make you better as much as doing the work you need to get better at that stage, right? Whatever that stage is and whatever that time is. So yeah, train for, you know, where you're at or slightly, you know, the next step, right? So that's where you need to train, not yeah. Five steps down the road, right? So there's no point, you know, you targeting a three hour marathon or training like a three hour marathon now, Island. It doesn't make sense in that respect. You've, you know, you've got a, another barrier before you get there so like let's train for that one first and then we can get to three hours later because the way to get to three hours is to first chip away and get to 330 and then 315 and then 310 you know it's it's that incremental step rather than i'm going to train for three hours now now that doesn't mean you have to run all of those times in races you may decide i'm going to do three hours but it's going to be in four years time i need to take incremental steps towards that that's also possible it's a little bit harder especially from a motivational level for many people and the way society is but it's definitely a not a bad strategy is long-term trajectory and using you know indicator sessions uh, or indicator training to give you an example of that
0: thank you very de- thank you very much david so many golden nuggets out of that episode if there's nothing else uh, you want to add i think we'll wrap it up there
1: no i think that's uh that's good please let us know what you think about the episode and as always you know like like the podcast, subscribe, uh, you know, share it with a friend, send us feedback. You can always email me at david at supersapiens.com. Uh, any questions you have or thoughts on the podcast, guests you want us to get on, if you have their contact details, that would be helpful, of course. And otherwise, we'll uh, see you next time.
0: Check out the show notes to this episode to a number of the blog posts that we have uh, mentioned. I promise you, just go spend 15 minutes, 20 minutes reading them. It's going to add so much more value and solidify what you have heard here today so that it really starts sinking in. So do yourself a favor. Be kind to yourself and do that. Thank you so much for checking out this episode. We'll catch you on the next one.